The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Microsoft's OpenAI deal is coming under regulatory scrutiny. Why an innovative partnership may now get a second look. Happy Friday, December 8th. Welcome to the Tech Check Podcast. I'm Deirdre Bosa. And I'm Mark Gilbert. News today. Regulators in the U.S. and the U.K. now reportedly taking a closer look at Microsoft's partnership with OpenAI D. This has become a theme, right, that we've talked about. Mega cap companies making giant investments into capital-intensive AI companies. Yeah, it's a conversation that's being had a lot here too among tech startups. And I would say it's not as straightforward. Some startups sort of love these deals because it creates these large language models that they can build on top of. Some of them don't like it because they feel like mergers or, you know, giving a leg up to certain generative AI companies. So, you know, we've been talking about it here. Um, And also just the way that this deal got done, right? So much of what we report on is regulatory. And in this world of increasing regulatory scrutiny, that deal, Microsoft's earlier this year with OpenAI, it seemed like perfectly manufactured for this era, right? Microsoft, it got a stake in the generative AI darling, the creator of ChatGPT. And in exchange, it got this exclusive cloud partnership. OpenAI got the compute power that it needed, which, as we've talked about, is extremely costly. Um, so it got basically bankrolled by Microsoft, and it also got access to you know all of Microsoft's enterprise customers. It was sort of this match made in heaven, but what it essentially did was just jump frog or allow Microsoft to leapfrog, rather, to the head of this AI arms race. Right. And the innovation here was that it was an investment, a partnership, not an acquisition or a merger, right? It wasn't the headline was not Microsoft buying open AI, which might have, you know, gone straight to the FTC, you know, alert, like, mm-hmm. oh, this is something we should look like, look like, look at. And as you said, it largely made Microsoft more powerful than ever in this AI arms race, you know, all these headlines that Microsoft had caught Google flat footed, and that it, it did that all bypassing the FTC and the DOJ. There were no headlines when the investment got announced of any sort of antitrust review. Because it was the headline, Microsoft invests $10 billion, ended up being $13 billion into OpenAI. So why would you necessarily investigate an investment, right? And meanwhile, let's not forget, Microsoft was trying to get through its massive, massive actual acquisition um, of Activision Blizzard. Right. And there was a lot of hurdles there. So it was already sort of in this back and forth. Oh, right. Wow. That's such a good point. I totally forgotten. Yes. About a year ago is exactly when Activision Blizzard was at its most contentious point. And so they're trying to get that deal pushed through and make sure that it isn't blocked. And it was looking dicey there for a second. And it was looking very dicey. Yeah. We weren't sure if that was going to get through. Open AI. these, These huge acquisitions with all of this regulatory scrutiny they can sometimes be a distraction, right? Even for a massive tech company, they can be costly and they can be distracting. And they got that through. But the last thing that they needed at that time was one more regulatory battle. Um, It's interesting. This caught me by surprise, though, I will say. Um, This report that came from Bloomberg that the FTC and the UK regulators were looking into the deal because 
it was just a month ago, I was telling you, Gilbert, in our audience that I saw FTC chief Lena Khan speak at a Y Combinator event. Um, this was her West Coast listening tour. She came to hear from startups, from investors, from tech companies, um, how they viewed the landscape and what was important to them. And it seemed at that time that this deal, Microsoft OpenAI, would be safe from scrutiny um, because she was focusing on core businesses, like whether Amazon's e-commerce was hurting competition, right? And, and we've talked about this before, you know, yesterday's battles, not necessarily where Amazon is going into healthcare, into logistics, all these things. Um, but she was looking at the monopolies that weren't being created, but were potentially had already been created. And at that um fireside chat with Gary Tan, Khan was asked directly if she would look into generative AI deals. And she said simply that they were thinking of it. I spoke to some of the founders in the room after she got off stage, and we all took that to mean you know, no action anytime soon, because we know that government agencies move slowly. And if she's thinking about it, action would take a while. But now, right, this report from Bloomberg that Lena Khan's FTC is actively examining that investment and whether or not it may violate antitrust laws. We did reach out to the agency and got a no comment. The other remarkable thing I'll just say about this is that usually the U.S. regulators are a little slow. It's the European regulators that take a look at these things first. So seeing sort of action within the same 24 hours, that feels like a new frontier. Yeah, the conventional wisdom, right, and sort of the way it's been the last couple of decades has been that uh, the European Union has a more muscular antitrust enforcement and the U.S. has a bit more of a free market, um, mm -hmm. you know, letting these deals go through. I do want to talk a little bit about more of that report and this sort of specifics in it. It says that the investigation is preliminary and there isn't yet uh, a formal, you know, investigation. This is just something they're looking into. It might not go anywhere, uh, but it is interesting to think about what it tells us about U.S. regulators. And you mentioned um, they're criticized for being slow, for fighting the, always fighting the last war, yesterday's battles. But but this is quick, right? This would be a quick turnaround of an entirely sort of like newly created uh, phenomenon for them to already be investigating. Right. And it's really them putting their money where their mouths are, right? When Lena Khan came into this regulatory position and Jonathan Cantor over at the DOJ, these were seen as sort of bulldogs, right? Regulators. These were the people in the Biden administration that were going to go after big tech. And maybe this is them showing us that this is a more nimble, a quicker FTC, despite or maybe because of several setbacks that, you know, Lena Khan's team in particular has faced over the last few years. We did a whole sort of deep dive on this for one of our weeklings, but weeklies, excuse me. Um, but even just you take an Amazon, right, where she made her name at, at Yale Law School, writing about um, Amazon's marketplace and how it represented a monopoly. And they've done more acquisitions, I think, than they've ever had and bigger acquisitions. Yeah, it has not been a slam dunk for Lena Khan and Jonathan Cantor at DOJ and Tim Wu, who's in the organization for a couple of years and just recently left, definitely has not been, um, you know, there have not been huge, uh, uh, successful, effective antitrust enforcement. I don't think that you would describe it like that. And that's hurt their credibility. So this is interesting that she's able to sort of lead this. And again, you said that this is preliminary. Nothing official has been filed. That's a huge grain of salt to take with all of this. It may be that nothing actually happens from this, but it does show us that they're thinking about it, not just thinking about it, 
acting on it. They're actively looking into it. What does it tell us about these huge multi-billion dollar deals, Gilbert? Because we've been talking about yeah, that that's what I was going to yeah, this year. Exactly. I I think that the that if I can sort of editorialize for a second, that it it's smart, right? Because these deals are sort of a way to get around scrutiny, and they are sort of specific specifically structured so that uh, it does not bring you know OpenAI or Anthropic you know, some of these big AI startups in-house at any of these big tech companies, but it does effectively give the, give them a lot of control over their over their operations and over the applications uh, of their business and sort of the end market and the, the customers that they'll eventually have. Uh, and so I do think that this actually is a very, um, you know, interesting place for regulators to be looking. And I also, we've examined this, how does it change or what are the incentives of big tech, right? They have these massive, massive balance sheets, billions and billions of dollars. A $13 billion investment for Microsoft is nothing. (laughs) For a VC firm, that is a huge amount. Exactly. For Microsoft, it's $13 billion. So they can, it's it's really win-win. One, they can participate in the upside if OpenAI becomes a more valuable company. That is, its valuation in the private markets gets bigger and bigger. That Microsoft stake becomes more valuable also. But if it doesn't, it still wins because so much of the money that has gone to OpenAI is turning around and being spent on Microsoft Cloud. It's coming back in the door. So do they have a real incentive for OpenAI to the same incentive that like a VC would have or a typical sort of structure might have? I guess that's that's maybe one of the questions that um, regulators. Yeah, they are they. Uh, you know, I remember uh, I remember there was there was a lot of controversy many years ago in Hollywood about uh, uh, Hollywood agents who were uh, both representing their clients. And then also getting uh, producer credits on the shows, right? And so they they were accused by their clients, some of them, and there were sort of nasty mm-hmm. fights of double dipping into uh, into like creator revenue. And I think that it's that there's a similar conversation happening here, where there's an interesting conversation around. Yes, Microsoft is both uh, funding their customers and getting the money that way, and sort of buying revenue that way. And then also they get to participate. You know, if OpenAI ends up becoming a very lucrative big company, then yes, they get to participate that way. And then you've brought this up a lot, Deirdre. You've talked about this, but how much does it sort of squash the smaller companies? And then and you know, are any of these smaller startups going to work because the OpenAI's and the Anthropic have so much money? Yeah. And, and this is complicated. So again, I'm just going to pitch our weekly that you can find on YouTube or cnbc.com slash TC weekly. It's called mega caps, mega deals, and explains a sort of virtuous cycle. Um, but you just mentioned the smaller guy. So if you look at the landscape, you might be compelled to think Microsoft and OpenAI, there's more competition. I mean, this is as competitive as big tech has been in a long time. You've got Amazon's bedrock and Q creating its own generative AI products and chatbot. You've got Google, right? And it's really been this race this year, neck and neck race with who's on top. Well, neck and neck might be generous to Amazon, but (laughs) neck and neck at least for Microsoft and Google. So it feels like there's a lot of competition. But I think what that misses is for the new companies, the startups that are trying to compete in this space. And that has really been a core tenant of what the Biden administration regulators want to do. They aren't necessarily comfortable with the idea of big tech getting bigger. And if you think that it's going to be one of those three or a huge tech company that's going to win generative AI, or, yeah, not or meta, meta, Yeah, or, or Thank you. Know, you. Right. You're, I mean, you're talking about one of the seven biggest companies in the world basically winning this race or being one of the winners in this race. 
And then you're talking about Microsoft, Amazon, and Google. More this in this case, Microsoft just picking a winner, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that OpenAI has the technology. Obviously, no. it does, and it's leagues and leagues ahead. So. But, you know, is that a self-fulfilling prophecy as well, right? Microsoft pays for the compute power. It's going to get better and better. What would have happened if it had to go out and raise money from other means, right? Through venture capitalists or through debt or whatever it is. Maybe there would have been some other contenders here. But basically, Microsoft has said, you are the winner. They could have got there themselves. I'm not saying that at all. But um, it benefits Microsoft and helps them become bigger, stronger, more powerful. I want to open up one more wrinkle into this. And that is the open AI drama, right? With kicking Sam Altman out of the company and then him returning to the company. I wonder if that will become a part of this story because all reporting leads to the fact that Microsoft and Satya Nadella very specifically was behind the scenes pushing the company to reconcile with Altman, to bring him back, that he in particular played a key role here. Microsoft came out very publicly and said that Altman would come and could come start his own company uh, his own co AI company within Microsoft offices, and it would hire every open AI employee that wanted to come. Open AI employees all signed a letter saying, hey, if you don't bring Altman back, we're going to go pack up and go to Microsoft. So like in effect, does Microsoft actually own open AI, right? It, because if the, if the board tries to fire the CEO and the CEO can just go, oh, okay, I'm going to go across the street uh, mm -hmm. to Microsoft and bring all of my employees who really... Who really controls OpenAI, the board or is it Microsoft? It's a great point. It also makes me think of the idea that Microsoft doesn't have like a voting seat on the board, right? When after all of this was said and done and they're creating a new board, it's kind of amazing that Microsoft just got like an observational seat. They can't actually vote on the most important issues. And I wonder if that's them sort of keeping it at a little bit of an arm's length here. I mean, you can just so, imagine, you can just imagine the court documents, right? Sort of like you can imagine the filings of Microsoft filing. Like, what are you talking about? We don't control this company. We have a minority stake. We don't have a board seat. And then you can just imagine the, you know, sort of citing the press reports of how much they actually pulled the strings over that weekend to bring Altman back. Right. And, and one more wrinkle. I mean, this is the wrinkliest story <laughs> we've talked about in a long time. Okay. The senior citizen of the story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what is open AI? How do you acquire or how do you merge with a nonprofit? That'll be interesting. I, I so wish that I could just, you know, be a fly on the wall at the FTC and hear how they were talking about this. Um, and even just like on the technicalities of it, right? How do you, um, if, if it's a nonprofit, you know, does that help Microsoft's case? But Microsoft's case, I don't know if we're going to, I don't know if we're going to get any more information on this. I do not know. Um, but we'll continue to cover it. And I thought I, this is a term that I'd never heard before, Mark, relevant merger situation. So that's the technicality too. So it's not a merger, but the FTC or the regulators in the UK as well would be looking at this relevant merger situation. So it's not an actual merger, but it's a relationship between two parties that effectively impacts competition for the rest of the market. That could open up a whole Pandora's box <laughs> because big tech is so active in terms of investing in companies, it could bring a lot of other stuff under review, which I know would um, make a lot of folks, especially here in Silicon Valley, nervous, right? If you yeah. get that kind of scrutiny, which a people here, I think, are in favor of less regulation. 
Well, I think also if you think about exits for the market, right? Like if you think about the possible world of exits and if IPOs, if the IPO market is sort of a bit broken, it doesn't feel like that can be an exit. And, uh, you know, if, if companies are wanting to stay private longer, this is one of the exit opportunities for companies is to be bought by big tech. And if that, uh, you know, if that gets gets eaten into and sort of that that exit opportunity isn't there, I really wonder what that does for, you know, VC returns. You know, it could be a good thing for VCs, though, if regulators crack down on big tech investments, right? Because right. they've just been bidding up right. the private valuations of these companies that we've, and again, our deep dive goes into this, how difficult it makes it for VCs who want to invest at reasonable valuations and have a lot, like way different criteria. So that right. could be interesting if they start to sort of um, reduce the size of their own investment operations or corporate, corporate VC is what, what it's called. Um we promise we're going to get to that IPO story. We've been meaning to do it for a few days now, but we're going to do that <laughs> next yeah, week. Overpromising. Meanwhile, make sure you check out our weekly deep dive from this week. We talk about, Mark? The return of the bundle, the rebundling, the of, re-bundling. The, the rebundling of the streaming uh, media companies and, and products uh, and sort of what's old is new again. And that's, uh, that's available right now on your uh, podcast feed or if you go to YouTube or cmc.com hugely confusing web now of streaming partnerships. It, it didn't take that long, Mark. We often say here, everything old is new again. And this one, I mean, I, I feel like I had, it felt like not that long ago, we were thinking about how amazing Netflix was that you could just, you know, pay for one thing and get access. But now it feels like you got to pay for everything to get access right. to a la carte. Yeah. One thing. And yeah, so that, that's a fun one. Make sure you check it out. And we'll be back next week. Have a good weekend. Have a great weekend. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun this season. King's Island is now open weekends. 